So what I want to do is I want to just go through a, a basic history of Freemasonry, and then I was trying to figure out a way that I can show you the teachings of this group without getting everyone completely confused, and I figured the best way I can do that is just to show you the process of becoming a Mason. And in doing that, it's kind of like Eastern Orthodoxy. If you understand the liturgy, you'll understand the theology. And so that's kind of the pattern we're going to take. We're just going to follow along and see what it takes to become a Mason. I'm not encouraging anyone to become a Mason. Don't, don't misunderstand. When we talk about the history of the Freemasons, we're actually going to deal with a lot of lore and myths surrounding the Masons. There's a whole bunch of mythology connected to the Masons. Some Masons assert that their organization and their practices just go all the way back to Adam and Eve. That when Adam and Eve sewed fig leaves together, these primitive clothes were the first Masonic aprons that they now use in their Masonic rituals. You should be able to tell that's myth. Others say that the Masonic Lodge can be traced back to Solomon and the building of the temple. And Solomon used Masons to build the temple. He used stonecutters, and that's where the modern-day Masons come from. A third myth regarding the origins of Freemasonry is that they are the direct descendants of the Knights Templar in the medieval ages. That's also a myth. Um, none of these are actually consistent with history. The Masonic Lodge certainly looks back to some of these events, and they point back to these events, but these events don't describe their origin. Masonry was actually founded in 1717 when a guy named James Anderson published a book entitled The Constitutions. And he actually revised a, a work from the 14th century that was a stonemason's guidebook. And so he took this guidebook and revised it and turned it into the system that now is known as the Freemasons. Now, the Masons will tell you that at the time of the publication of this work, there were already Masonic lodges in existence. There were four lodges in London, and these four lodges were meeting in taverns and alehouses throughout the city of London, but they weren't unified. They didn't have any structure to them as far as relating to one another. And it was on June 24, 1717, that these four lodges came together, together in a meeting at the Goose and Gridiron Tavern in London. And I thought, I wonder if there's a picture. Now, I don't know if you guys can read the, um, the signs on the building, but it doesn't actually say Goose and the Gridiron. But it does, if I zoom in, it does have a picture of a goose standing on a gridiron. This isn't just depicted in artwork. There's actually a picture of this building. And I'm assuming this picture was taken in the 1800s because they didn't have it in the 1700s. There's the same building. The Encyclopedic Dictionary of Cults, Sects, and World Religions says, Credible historians trace the real beginnings of Freemasonry back to the Goose and Gridiron Tavern in London, England in 1717. And I'm going to largely use this resource to help kind of trace through the history of Freemasonry. At this first meeting in 1717, they actually created the first, what is known as a Grand Lodge. Now, they have lodges, which is just a small group of Masons who meet together, and then they have a Grand Lodge that is supposed to oversee the smaller lodges. So here they established their first Grand Lodge in London, and there were attempts to create what is known as a Supreme Lodge, and that would take all lodges in the world and all Grand Lodges and put them under the authority of one Supreme Lodge. But it never worked. And so today, when you look at masonry, Grand Lodges and Lodges are very independent, and they have their own constitution, they have their own bylaws, and they kind of govern themselves, and there's real no unity within Freemasonry. In 1733, this Grand Lodge that was founded in London granted a charter to have another lodge created in Boston, in the United States. That was in 1733. By 1745, the first lodge was built in Canada. Lodges were then built in Brazil, Mexico, and the West Indies. And by the time you get into the 1800s, there are several thousand lodges that have been established throughout the United States and North America. And with all these lodges, the Masons actually get a considerable influence in the United States. By the way, I didn't show you this. This was their first Grand Master, Anthony Sayer. He was elected at that first meeting. So they get all these lodges in the United States, and they start to gain a lot of influence. And that influence comes primarily through the men that are Masons. Anyone know some men from history that were Masons? 
George Washington, who, yes, U.S. presidents. This is the list I found from the Masons. George Washington, Thomas Jefferson, James Madison, James Monroe, James Polk, James Buchanan, Andrew Johnson, James Garfield, William McKinley, Theodore Roosevelt, William Taft, Warren Harding, Franklin D. Roosevelt, and Harry Truman are all said to have been Masons. It's not even including the 18 vice presidents, the five chief, chief justices of the Supreme Court, the astronauts Edwin Aldrin, Virgil Grissom, and Gordon Cooper, actors Jane, John Wayne and Clark Gable were Masons, the composer John Philip Sousa was a Mason, and General Douglas MacArthur was a Mason. The Masons have a lot of influence. Today, there are approximately 2 million Masons in the world. And you ask, well, how influential are they here in Texas? So if you go to the Grand Lodge of Texas, you go to their website, they have a map that shows all the lodges in Texas. And if you zoom in, here's San Antonio. Those are actually individual markers. That, that's not Photoshopped. Now, I don't know how accurate or how big any of these lodges are. These could just be individual masons living at their home, and they've called it a lodge. I don't honestly know. But it, it makes it seem that they have quite a bit of influence. Okay, that's a basic history of Freemasonry. What is Freemasonry? Well, it's a secret society. And like I said, they, they meet in what they call a lodge. And they maintain their secrecy through the use of symbolism, secret oaths, and secret rituals. And if you want to see the symbolism, just look at their main logo. Anybody know what that logo is of? What are the elements of the logo? A compass, a square, and a big letter G. Now, I couldn't find anyone who would tell me what the compass was for or what it symbolized. But the G, they said, could stand for a couple of different things. All of these, the, the compass and square, are all tools of a mason, a stonecutter. And they point back to ancient stonecutters, and they use their tools and their instruments as symbols. And these symbols are supposed to teach their ideology. The website, the Scottish Rite, says, the symbol's origin, speaking of their logo, is theorized to have come from the stonemason's guilds during the Middle Ages. In fact, most language and symbolism used in our fraternity comes from this era. And so they use symbols to teach their theology. It's very much like Eastern Orthodoxy in that sense. There's a lot of symbolism that points to theology. The G in the middle can have a couple different meanings depending on who you're looking, who you're talking to. Some say it refers to geometry. And as you might imagine, geometry and stonemasonry would be very important. Geometry shows the relationship between various objects in the world, and so the G there could refer to the relationships of different people in the world. The G can also be used to refer to God, the one they call the grand architect of the universe, but it just depends on who you're talking to on what it actually means. The square that's down there at the bottom was used to test the accuracy of a cut, and you, you could make sure that your cut was actually a 90-degree angle, and so it tested what was true. One writer said, today the square and compass pay homage to the early tradition by representing morality and boundaries, respectively. So notice this symbol is now a representation of morality and the boundaries that you should have in your life and in your conduct. Now, we're identifying Freemasonry as a cult. Why would we call it a cult? Because the Masons today certainly wouldn't agree that it's a cult. We say it's a cult because they have a wrong view of salvation, they have a wrong view of God, and they have a wrong view of Jesus. And one of those is just absent in their theology. One of the main reasons they would object to this is because cults are religions. And modern-day Masons insist we are not a religion. Don't call us a religion, we don't do anything religious here. And they claim that you can be a Mason and a Christian at the same time, and there's no contradiction between those two. You should be able to be a Mason and a Christian, and your conscience should not be defiled at all. In fact, the Grand Lodge of Texas has on their website, Freemasonry is a fraternity 
Its membership is restricted to men, but there is no hazing as is found in some college fraternities. The Masonic Order is a serious group. It exists to take good men and help them to become better men. Thus, it is not a reform society. It does not exist to reform criminals, nor would such persons benefit from its teachings. Now, do you notice they do have an anthropology here? An anthropology is describing what they believe about man. There are good men and there are bad men, and our goal is to make good men better. We'll come back to that. But it's a fraternity. We're not a religion. We're not here to make bad men good. Ergo, we're not a religion. The Grand Lodge of Texas, they continue, Masonry is not a religion. There is nothing in Freemasonry to interfere with a man's religious life. Persons of all faiths and Christian denominations are part of the worldwide Masonic fraternity. Religion and politics are two subjects not allowed to be discussed when a lodge is in session. Nothing in what we teach will interfere with your Christian faith, is the idea. We're not a religion. We're not here to compete with what you guys believe. Don't worry about it. Everything's okay. You can trust us. The Ohio Lodge has a similar statement. In their Q&A, they ask the question, is Freemasonry a religion? Here's their answer. No, Freemasonry is not a religion or a substitute for religion. However, it is an organization of men who all profess a belief in a supreme being, and it includes spiritual or religious elements in its ceremonies. While it is built on the premise that the universe and all life are creations of a deity, Freemasonry deals more with a man's relationship with his fellow man rather than his relationship with God. Now, biblically, we would say your relationship to your fellow man impacts and affects your relationship to God. So that doesn't really help. What do you notice in this quote, though? We just read a quote from the Grand Lodge of Texas that masonry was consistent with Christianity, that you can be a Christian and a mason, but look at what this statement says. Masons believe in a supreme being. Which one? This is like Alcoholics Anonymous. You just have to submit to a supreme being. This is not Christian. Even though there is an order of the Masons that claim to be Christian Masons. It doesn't have to be the God of the Bible. It doesn't have to be Jesus Christ. It can be any God. Any God will do. You can get in. You can't be an atheist and get into the Masons. And every God that you come in with, whether it's a Christian God or a Mormon God, every God you come in with, all of them are given the same title, the Grand Architect. And they're all referred to as being the same God. And in fact, if you would like to become a Mason, that's the first requirement to be a Mason. You have to believe in a supreme being. Faith in Jesus Christ for salvation is not a requirement to be a Mason. You just have to embrace some kind of God. The Dallas Lodge gives this requirement for every candidate who wants to be a Mason. Candidates must believe in an immortal creator of the universe. Among our members are Christians, Jews, Muslims, Hindus, etc. We welcome men of many faiths, but according to Masonic jurisprudence, there must be an obedience to a moral law that denotes the rule of good and evil or right and wrong revealed by the creator inscribed on man's conscience even at his creation and consequently binding upon him by divine authority. This divine being, the creator of heaven and earth, is particularly viewed in Freemasonry in his character as the grand master builder of the universe and is therefore addressed as the grand architect of the universe. There's no difference, according to Masonry, between the God of the Jews, the God of the Muslims, and the God of the Christians. There's no difference between the God that you worship and the gods of the Hindu religion. According to Freemasonry, all of them are gods, and all of them are the one grand architect of the universe. Any god will do to be a Mason. You don't have to be a Christian. That's the first qualification to get in Masonry. Just accept any, any divine being that you want. The second qualification, you must be male. There are some Masonic organizations that are geared towards women. We'll see those. You must be of legal age. It depends on what state you're in, determines what age you have to be. You must be freeborn. Now, at first, I thought that was just because, you know, Masonry started in a time period when slavery was still around. 
But then I looked at one of the lodges here in Texas, and this is actually in their requirements that you must be freeborn. I don't know why it's still there. If Maybe that's just there out of tradition. You also must be physically healthy. That is to say, you can't have any ailments that would restrict your use of your arms or your legs because as a mason, going through the rituals is a requirement. And if you think, that they're, if you think back that they're pointing back to the masons, it would be very hard to be a mason who can't use his arms and legs, right? And so if you can't go through the rituals, you can't be a, a mason. And then you must be referred by another mason. There's one more qualification if you want to be a mason. And instead of me telling you what the qualification is, I'm just going to play a little short video. This video is on the Texas Grand Lodge's website, and it's all about how you can become a mason. And I'm not going to play the whole video, just a little snippet of it. I want you to hear this qualification. If you want to be a mason, you have to ask to be a mason. Nobody's going to come up to you and ask you to join our fraternity. It's part of our heritage, it's part of our tradition, and there are some very particular reasons why uh, you will never be asked to be made a mason. But if it is your desire to become a mason, you need to find a mason, uh, you probably already know one, and tell them that you want to become a mason. And what they'll do is they'll invite you to join their lodge, they'll invite you to meet with the brethren there, and after you get to know the brethren in the lodge, and they know you, uh, then they'll give you a petition once they feel comfortable and you feel comfortable with them. You fill out the petition, uh, there are several questions on there, and once you get that filled out, you turn that in to a lodge, uh, and then that lodge at its next stated business meeting will, take, uh, will assign a committee. And this committee will be comprised of three other Masons. Uh, their job is to investigate you as a candidate for masonry and to make sure that your intentions are, are pure, that you want to join for the right reasons, but also to make sure that you're a good man. Masonry's stated purpose is to take a good man and make him better, not to take a bad man and make him good. Hear the anthropology in that? Our purpose is to take a good man and make him better. What's the assumption behind that? There's good men out there that you can be good and that if you recognize how good you are, come to the Masons, we'll make you better. Now, they don't define what they mean by good. And by the way, I don't know if you saw the application or if you could read it. One of the questions on there was list every place you've lived for the last 15 years. I mean, that's a serious investigation. If you've ever done the top, security, uh, top secret security clearance, that's the kind of question they ask for. And that's what they're asking you on that application to be a Mason. But the qualification for a Mason is you must be a good man. They don't define what that means. They don't tell you what that means. That's completely subjective based on the individual lodge that you're trying to join. This is important. The goal of Masons is for you to go from being a good man to being a better man. And once they've determined that you're a good man, you will be recommended to go into masonry and begin working through the various degrees of masonry. And those degrees all start with what is called the Blue Lodge. Now, I know we've been talking about lodges are a place where people meet. The Blue Lodge is not a location. It's a, it's a title for a group of degrees that you can earn. There are three degrees that every mason must get. The Entered Apprentice, Fellow Craft, and a Master Mason. And when you first join the Masons, you must, you are required to go through these three degrees and earn each of the three. Once you've finished earning these three degrees, we're going to talk about how do you, how do you get the first one. Once you finish that, you can choose to proceed into two, one of two rites. Okay, so there's the Blue Lodge. The Entered Apprentice, the Fellow Craft, and Master Mason. That's the Blue Lodge. Once you've completed that, you can now choose between two rites. The York Rite or the Scottish Rite. The York Rite names its chapters, its degrees. And they're broken into three sections. Chapter, Council, and Commandery Degrees. The Scottish Rite is what you're used to hearing. He's a 10th degree Mason. He's an 11th degree Mason. He's a 33rd degree Mason. 
Now, I know you're not going to be able to read all that. That's why I named it off first. But those are the various degrees. And so once you finish the Blue Lodge, you can go on the left side, the York right, and work your way through those degrees. Or you can go on the right, and you can work your way through the degrees of the Scottish right. And so you'll hear different titles for degrees. Just understand, those are the two basic tracks that you can take in masonry. Not only can you choose what right you want to go into, but they also have other orders or other organizations that are affiliated with the Masons. Here's some of these organizations that you can be a part of or you can be involved with. The Order of the Eastern Star for the wives, daughters, and other female relatives of Master Masons. And from what I can tell online, they actually have their own ceremonies and their own garb that they wear. The Shriners. This is open to only 32nd degree Masons and Knights Templar, which are the two high degrees of both rites. The Order of De Molay which is a boy's fraternity. This is for young boys. Job's daughters. This is for young women. Daughters of the Nile. This is for female relatives of the Shriners. The Mystic Order of Veiled Prophets of the Enchanted Realm. This is a social organization. That's all I could find on it. The Acacia Fraternity and the Knights of the Cross of Constantine. Yes. He said, for not being a religion, they sure do have a lot of religious titles. And there are many more. There's some 50-some-odd organizations that are affiliated with the Masons. But many of them are, have one ultimate purpose. It's to inculcate the family into Freemasonry. And the idea is, because women and children can't be a part of the Masons, you have these the women and children join these other organizations and they get an introduction to masonry and it's assumed that the father who is a mason will go home and teach his family masonry and to follow masonry. And like every cult we've looked at so far, their first target is who? Children. The Order of De Molay, Job's Daughters, there's another organization that target children. John Ankerberg gives a quote from a guy named Fred Witte. Fred Witte was, right, was a Mason who wrote for North, the North Carolina Masons. Here's what this Mason said about these organizations targeting the youth. The three Masonic youth organizations are the International Order of De Molay, the International Order of Job's Daughters, and the International Order of Rainbow for Girls. What a great story of how the Masonic family has grown because of these three organizations. The three people who started these organizations over seven years ago have increased the Masonic family by tens of thousands. These three people never asked a man to become a Mason, but because of their impact, tens of thousands of men have petitioned Masonry. Here's the idea. If I can just start teaching the kid at a young age about Masonry and get them interested, I don't have to go out and ask people to become Masons. The children of Masons will want to become Masons. And he says tens of thousands of people have petitioned to become Masons merely because, as a child, they went through these organizations. Discipleship. It works. Even for a cult. Like every cult we've looked at, the Masons target children as a means of advancing and perpetuating their teaching. And that teaching is aimed at taking a good man and trying to make him better. The stated goal of masonry in these organizations is to promote masonry. The Grand Lodge of Maine on its website provides an opening prayer that is said at the beginning of a lodge meeting. And this prayer gives some of their goals and some of the things they're striving for. Listen to this prayer. Most merciful God, supreme architect of heaven and earth, we beseech thee to guide and protect these brethren. Teach us to know and serve thee aright. Bless us and prosper us in all our laudable undertakings and grant that our conduct may tend to thy glory, to the advancement of Freemasonry, and finally to our own salvation in that blessed kingdom where thy children shall find rest. Amen. Is that prayer consistent with your Christian faith? But notice, one of the first goals is that we uh, conduct, that our conduct may tend to thy glory, to the advancement of Freemasonry. I'm sorry? 
Yeah, good good point. She said they they prioritize advancing masonry before eternity. And that's the next part I want you to notice. Grant that our conduct may tend to, one, thy glory, the advancement of Freemasonry, and finally, to our own salvation. We're going to talk about what standard they use in a minute. That's a good question. What standard are they using? Just like when we say their goal is to make a good man better, by what standard is he a good man? But here, their goal of masonry is that they can obtain salvation. How do they obtain salvation? Well, by their laudable undertakings and their conduct. John Ankerberg says, Attaining one's own salvation by personal righteousness and good works is taught throughout the entire Masonic system of ritual and belief. Now, the Texas Grand Lodge actually provides a Masonic monitor. A monitor is just a rule book. It's a rule book for how they do rituals, but this doesn't include any of their secrets. So they publish it online, and you can go look at it. It describes the process for initiating someone into the first degree, if you want to get your entered apprentice. Here is the prayer that is said during that non-religious ritual. The Lamb has in all ages been deemed an emblem of innocence. He, therefore, who, who wears the lambskin, that is the Masonic apron you see those guys wearing, as the badge of a Mason, is constantly reminded of that purity of heart and uprightness of conduct so essentially necessary to his gaining admission into the celestial lodge above where the supreme architect of the universe presides. Purity of heart and uprightness of conduct that is essential to gaining entrance into heaven, the celestial lodge. Now you hear that and you're like, ugh. But Masons actually try to defend this. I went to verify this quote somewhere else and I put it into Google and I found an article where a guy, a Mason, was trying to defend this. Here's what he said. Speaking of this idea of the purity of heart that's necessary to get into heaven. This statement does not say that wearing the lambskin or the apron or doing good works brings salvation. Purity of life and conduct comes only from faith in and obedience to the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ. Okay, now I would certainly affirm the last part of that. But what he's saying here is that masonry is really just saying, be a good Christian. Is that what the Masonic Lodge teaches? Does the Masonic Lodge require you to believe and obey Jesus Christ? Answer, no. We've already seen it. The Masonic Lodge says you can embrace any God of your choosing. Not only that, but any discussion of religion in the Lodge is prohibited. You are prohibited from speaking about Jesus at the Lodge. You're a Christian and you can't talk about Jesus to people you say you're united with? The Dallas Lodge. In fact, political and religious discussions are prohibited in Lodge in order to maintain peace and harmony. Well, if all of you are Christians, how is talking about Jesus going to in any way damage harmony and peace in the Lodge? If faith in Christ is necessary as a Mason, and our faith in Christ unites us, why are you not allowed to discuss faith in Christ when you're at the Lodge? Next, this writer, when he says this, what he's really saying is his own opinion. The writer can claim that faith in Christ is necessary, but that's not what the Masons teach. Masonic teaching doesn't say you need to embrace Jesus. It says that you need to embrace a God of your choosing, whatever God that is, even if the God doesn't exist, and then work really hard. That's Masonic teaching. So I was like, okay, you know what? I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt. I've got the monitor here. I can look through their rituals. I'm just going to search for the word faith. This is the wonder of electronics today. You can just search it and find out if they use the word. And maybe there's somewhere in here it talks about faith in Christ. And we'll give them the benefit of the doubt. So I searched faith. Here's what I found. I found instructions on being faithful to your duties, faithful to your lodge. I found several references to faith in God. I found a statement that they should have faith that the line of the tribe of Judah would renew them and give them strength in their good works. But I did not find one reference to having faith in Jesus Christ. In fact, the monitor provides instructions on a, on a Masonic burial, 
See if this is the prayer you want on your said at your funeral. Gracious Father, vouchsafe us. We pray thee, thy divine assistance to redeem our misspent time and in the discharge of the duties thou hast assigned us in the erection of our moral edifice. May we have wisdom from on high to direct us, strength commensurate with our tasks to support us, and the beauty of holiness to adorn and render our performances acceptable to thy sight. And at last, when our work on earth is done, when the mallet of death shall call us from our labors, may we obtain a blessing and an everlasting rest in the spiritual house, not made with hands, eternal in heavens. Amen. Is that the prayer you want said at your funeral? That is not a Christian prayer by any stretch of the imagination. They ask that their works would be acceptable. They ask for help with their works. But notice the end. When our work on earth is done, when the mallet of death shall call us from our labors, may we obtain a blessing and everlasting rest in the spiritual house. The blessing here is the result of their works. Question, where is Jesus? Where is any discussion of the imputed righteousness of Christ? Where is any mention that our efforts and our works are not meritorious for salvation? Where is there any mention that we are wholly dependent upon the work of Christ for salvation? It's not there. They say nothing about it. For that matter, where is the name Jesus at all? I went back and I searched the monitor for the name Jesus just to see if I could find one reference to him. You know how many times the name of Jesus was used in the monitor the entire thing? Zero. I thought, okay, well, maybe they use his title instead of his name. So I searched Christ. You know how many times he was mentioned? Zero. Freemasonry is a works righteousness system, a system in which good men can make themselves better men and obtain salvation. Anything that would conflict, uh, the Catholics would get very upset about the idea of that you can worship any God. Even though I think they deify Mary, they, they wouldn't agree. Well, okay, let me backtrack. Um, historic Catholicism would not accept Muslims and the God of Muslims and other gods like that. Modern day Catholicism might actually accept that. So, maybe. <laughs> now, you can see this. Becoming a good man to a better man as a works righteousness system, you can see this in the process of earning the various degrees of the Blue Lodge. Like I said, this is kind of like Eastern Orthodoxy, where if you want to understand the theology, you just need to look at the liturgy and the ritual that they go through. Albert Mackey, who was a, I think, a 32nd or 33rd degree Mason, he achieved the highest rank you can get in Masonry. He talked about the, the definition of Freemasonry. Here's his definition. The definitions of Freemasonry have been numerous, and they all unite in declaring it, Freemasonry, to be a system of morality by the practice of which its members may advance their spiritual interests and mount by the theological ladder from the lodge on earth to the lodge in heaven. Can he be any more clear about this? This is a works righteousness system by which you can earn your way to heaven. You gain salvation not by trusting in Christ alone, but by working up the ladder, going from one degree to the next. And the Masons have the audacity to say they are not a religion. And I'm going to show you just how religious they are. What is it like to become an entered apprentice? What is it like to get your first degree? This is coming from a guy named Jack Harris in his book, Freemasonry, the Invisible Cult. Once you've been approved, and once you've gone through the application process, and you've been approved, you go through a ritual. Jack Harris explains, The candidate is first deprived of all offensive, defense, offensive and defensive weapons, divested of all clothing, and dressed in an old pair of trousers, blue in color, and a blue top with a cable toe around his neck. He is also blindfolded, or hoodwinked, as Freemasonry calls it. What is a cable toe? The cable toe is a six-foot cord that is placed and tied around the candidate's neck. That's one picture of it. Where does this come from? Where does this cable toe come from? Why do they do it? Jack Harris actually provides a quote from a guy named A.T.C. Pearson. Pearson was a very high-ranking mason, and he explained the origins of the cable toe. 
In the mysteries of India, that is, in the secret worship of the pagan gods of India, the aspirant or candidate was invested with a consecrated sash or girdle, which he was directed to wear next to his skin. It was manufactured with many mysterious ceremonies and said to possess the power of preserving the wearer from personal danger. It consisted of a cord composed of three times three threads twisted together and fastened at the end with a knot and was called a zinar. Where does this come from? Where does the cable toe come from? It comes from the Hindu mystery religions. They borrowed it, incorporated it into their fraternity. Jack Harris summarizes, Hence comes the cable toe on the high Masonic authority of Pearson, the Zenar of the Hindu initiation and the cable toe used in Freemasonry are one and the same with the coinciding features distinctly marked. Now, he's dressed in this blue garb. He's got this rope tied around his neck. He's blindfolded. And he has to expose part of his chest. If you're wondering about why his pant leg is like that, one source said that was because it was representing duality. Another source says that it's to remind him he is a beggar and he is poor. Once the candidate's dressed like this and he's donned the cable toe, he's ushered to the door of the lodge, Jack Harrison. When the candidate stands at the anteroom door, he knocks three times. On the other side, the junior deacon also knocks three times and opens the door. He then says, who goes there? The answer given by the conductor, the senior steward, is a poor blind candidate who desires to be brought from darkness to light and receive a part of the rites and benefits of this right worshipful lodge erected to God and dedicated to the Holy Saints John. Holy Saints John refers to John the Baptist and John the Evangelist. Notice it's a right worshipful lodge but they're not a religion. The lodge was built for God, but they're not a religion. But do you notice the language? Entering in the first degree, the canon is said to be going from darkness to light. That is strangely biblical language. The only difference between their language and biblical language is the means by which you go from darkness to light. Here, you go from darkness to light by going through the degrees and going through masonry. In the Bible, you go to Christ. Albert Mackey, who held the highest degree in masonry, wrote of the candidate, There he stands without our portals, on the threshold of his new Masonic life in darkness, helplessness, and ignorance, having been wandering amid the errors and covered over with the pollutions of the outer and profane world, he comes inquiringly to our door, seeking the new birth and asking a withdrawal of the veil which conceals divine truth from his uninitiated sight. This is almost like the Bible's description of the sinner before they come to Christ. You're blind, you're poor, you're a beggar, you can't do anything for yourself, you can't see, and what you really need is the light. And instead of offering you Christ, the Masons offer you the degrees of Masonry. If you want to remove the blindfold, the only thing that will do it is going through the degrees and becoming a Mason. And once this happens, the Mason, the candidate, is then ushered into the lodge, Jack Harris. As the candidate enters the lodge room, he is met by the senior deacon who is holding a sharply pointed instrument to his breast, just short of piercing his skin. That's why they wanted him to expose his chest, so they can take this dagger and press it against his chest. The deacon says to the candidate, Quote, Mr. So-and-so, you are received into masonry upon the, sharp, the point of a sharp instrument, piercing your naked left breast, which is to teach you that as this is an instrument of torture to your flesh, so should the recollection thereof be to your conscience, should you ever reveal any of the secrets of Freemasonry unlawfully. And you might think that's just a veiled threat and you're just trying to scare the guy. No, that's not all it is. This is a solemn warning that was given to people as they entered into a pagan temple. Jack Harris. In his manual, Albert Mackey also wrote of the ancient initiation, a secret worship of the pagan gods, in which the candidate was never permitted to enter on the threshold of the temple or sacred cavern in which ceremonies are conducted until, by the most solemn warnings, he had been impressed with the necessity of caution, secrecy, and fortitude. They got this from a pagan practice. Then, the worshipful master, and yes, that is a real title in masonry, the worshipful master says a prayer for the candidate. 
Vouchsafe thine aid, Almighty Father of the universe, to this our present convention, and grant this candidate for masonry may dedicate and devote his life to thy service and become a true and faithful brother among us, and do him with the competency of thy divine wisdom, that by the secrets of our art he may be better enabled to display the beauties of holiness to the honor of thy holy name. Amen. First of all, what God is he praying to? Now think about this. You're a Christian. And the guy who's your worshipful master is a Hindu or a Muslim. And you're supposed to participate in this prayer with him? Notice also that by the secrets of our art, he may be better enabled to display the beauties of holiness. Do you need the secrets of masonry to be holy? You need Christ to be holy. Now, once this prayer is done, the candidate has to go through, here it comes, the rite of circumambulation. Now, this ceremony is very interesting. The candidate who's supposed to be in darkness is now to go looking for the light. He's been ushered into the lodge room, and he's still blindfolded. And he's going to be led about the lodge looking for light. Albert Mackey. The circumambulation among the pagan nations referred to the great doctrines of Sabaeism, or sun worship. That's where this ritual comes from. It comes from the worship of the sun, the S-U-N, not the S-O-N. Jack Harris explains the symbolism involved in this process. The lodge represents the world. The three principal officers represent the sun in her three principal positions, at rising, at meridian, and at setting. The circumambulation alludes to the apparent course of the solar orbit through these points around the world. The candidate is supposed to go around the room, and he's looking for spiritual light. He's looking for truth, and he's in darkness because he's blindfolded, and he can't find truth, and so he's led through the, the world, which is the lodge, looking for light, and you know where he finds it? Not in Christ. He finds it in the leadership of the Freemasons. Divine truth will be found in the Masons. Their teaching here is all veiled symbolism. You need to understand this. The candidate, as he's going through this, none of this is explained to him before or during this ritual. He has no knowledge of what's actually occurring. He is, as they said, hoodwinked. This has been kept from him. He is in the dark about what is really going on. His eyes, both metaphorically and physically, are covered. And if he wants to know what all this means, he has to first enter into the Masons, to where he has access to the Masonic Lodge and their library, so he can learn what he's just involved himself in. But before he can become a Mason, he has to swear an oath. After the circumambulation is complete, Jack Harris, the can is then led to the base of the altar, where a holy Bible, square, and compass rests. The worshipful master instructs the candidate that he is about to take an oath where obligation is assured. It will not interfere with any duty he owes to God, his country, or himself. That last part is just like you've already interfered with my duties to God at this point. What about the duty to worship the only true God? What about the duty to trust and repent and believe on the person of Jesus Christ? What about that duty? What about the Christian obligation to trust in Christ alone for righteousness? It would seem to me that if you understood the symbolism, if you understood what was going on in that room, you would never make it to the oath before you said, I got to stop this. I'm done with this. Now, notice he does say they have to swear on the Bible. This goes to your, what you said earlier. By what standard? And you think, oh, there's a Bible in the room. That's good. No, no, no. That's culturally determined. In a primarily or predominantly Christian culture, they put a Bible up there. But if you go to a Muslim culture, it'll be a Quran. If you go to a Jewish culture, it'll be the Torah. If you go to a Hindu culture, it'll be one of their books. It's just a prop. But it's amazing how this non-religion uses the Bible and altars. Jack Harris, when the candidate agrees to this, he is prepared and made to kneel at the altar, hand on the Bible, square and compass, and he recites as given the oath of secrecy. Here's the oath. This is a long oath. I've actually cut parts out of this oath to try to shorten it, but 
the parts I've left in, I just want you to hear it. Here's the oath. I state your name of my own free will and accord in presence of the Almighty God and this right worshipful lodge erected to him and dedicated to the holy saints, John, do hereby and hereon do solemnly and sincerely promise and swear I will always hail, forever conceal, and never reveal any of the secret arts, parts, or points of the mysteries of Freemasonry which have been, may now, or shall hereafter be communicated to me in charge as such to any person in the world except it be to a true and lawful brother Freemason or in a legally constituted lodge of ancient free and accepted masons. Then I cut out a part where they talk about the different ways that you can convey information through writing. But notice again, they refer to Almighty God. And again, this does not refer to the God that you're thinking of. It refers to any God that you want. And again, the right worshipful lodge erected to him. It's a place of worship. But don't worry, they're not a religion. The next part of this oath is where it really gets concerning. To all of which I Solomon sincerely promise and swear to keep and perform the same without any equivocation, mental reservation, or secret evasion of mind in me whatever, binding myself under no less a penalty than that of having my throat cut from ear to ear, my tongue torn out by its roots, and with my body buried in the rough sands of the sea a cable's length from shore, where the tide ebbs and flows twice in 24 hours, should I ever knowingly or willingly violate this, my solemn obligation as an entered apprentice, so help me God, and keep me steadfast in the performance of the same. Is that an oath you would be willing to take? For a fraternity that hasn't told you what they actually believe yet? Now, if that sounds harsh, because it is, if you were in a Muslim country, you would take a similar oath. I'm just going to give you the last part of their oath. In willful violation whereof, I may incur the fearful penalty of having my eyeballs pierced to the center with a three-edged blade. My feet flayed, and I be forced to walk on the hot sands, the sterile shores of the Red Sea, until the flaming sun shall strike me with a livid plague. And, and my Allah, the God of the Arab Muslim, and Mohammedan, the God of our fathers, support me to the entire fulfillment of the same. Amen, amen, amen. Now, whenever someone comes to you and says, I swear, I promise, I, all, all my life, I prom-, when they do that to you, what do you know about them? They're lying. This is the same thing the Pharisees did when they made oaths. As a Christian, how can you make this oath? How can you stand there and swear allegiance to this organization? I mean, even if you can get past the pagan rituals, I don't know how you get past those, but... How do you swear an oath like this? How do you align yourself with an organization that is clearly pagan? 2 Corinthians 6, verse 14. Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership have righteousness and lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? Or what harmony has Christ with Belial? Or what has a believer in common with an unbeliever? Or what agreement has the sanctuary of God with idols? For we are a sanctuary of the living God. A Christian cannot, in any sense, be a Mason. To claim that you need to be a Mason to receive spiritual light or divine truth is just repackaged Gnosticism. To say that there's some secret information that you have to obtain in order to get to heaven, in order to have a relationship with God, you need the special secret information, and the only people who can give it to you are these people right over here. That's the same error that Paul was confronting in Colossians 2, Colossians 2, so that their hearts may be encouraged, having been held together in love, even unto all the wealth of the full assurance of understanding, unto the knowledge of God's mystery, that is Christ himself, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. You want spiritual knowledge and wisdom? You run to Christ. You don't run to the Masons. Paul told the Corinthians that the natural man was in spiritual darkness, that he was blinded, that he was incapable of seeing the truth. And you know what his answer to that was? He says, that's the true of the natural man. But you as a Christian, he says, but we have the mind of Christ. We are not in the dark. We certainly don't need the Masons to get truth. The Masons don't offer you Christ. They offer you themselves. They offer you their own made-up superstitions. No one needs the Masons, the Gnostics, or Joseph Smith, or any other cult leader to have spiritual truth. What they need is Jesus Christ. Masonry is just a satanic deception. But let's go back to the process real quick. Once he's made the oath, 
He then has to kiss the Bible or whatever book they have, Jack Harris. He must then ask the worshipful master for light, spiritually speaking, into the secrets of Freemasonry before he is allowed to see what is going on or receive any of the teachings, rights, or privileges. Notice, you don't get anything. You don't get any knowledge until you swear this oath and you go through this process. He's then given a charge to live out the Masonic teaching. That charge is like three or four pages long, so I did not include it. Now, as we finish this, let's just go back to what we saw at the beginning of this. Masonry is not a religion. Do I need to say any more on that? It absolutely is a religion. This is not a fraternity. Unless it's a religious fraternity. And it's completely incompatible with Christianity. When a Mason comes to you and says, don't worry, we're a fraternity, not a religion, they are lying to you. That's what they're doing. Some of their most trusted sources, like Albert Mackey. This is what Albert Mackey said. This is my last quote. Masonry is that religious and mystical society whose aim is moral perfection on the basis of general equality and fraternity. You can't be a Mason and a Christian. And what they teach is far from biblical. And they are rightly categorized as a cult because they teach a false salvation by a false god. All right, was that a very uplifting message? Encouraged now? Questions? Comments? Well, I mean, they, don't, they may not talk about religion in the Lodge, but they certainly practice religion in the Lodge. You're just not allowed to talk about any other religion because it might interfere with that one. Yes, sir? There's actually a story of a guy in the 1800s who was a, a mason, and he supposedly went out there and started writing about their secrets, and then he just vanished. And so there was this lure that the Masons did something to him, but they could never prove it. So, okay, we're, we're out of time. If you have any other questions, come and see me afterwards. Let me pray and we'll be done. Father, we thank you so much for your grace and your mercy. Uh, we do thank you for the ability to come and to study groups like this, that uh, we can be aware of what they teach and that we can be on guard from them, that we can exercise spiritual discernment. And we do ask that you would protect other Christians around the world, that they would be discerning, that you would give them wisdom to avoid such groups like the Masons, and that if we have the opportunity to speak to a Mason, that you would give us boldness and the words to speak, that we would evangelize them and call them to true and saving faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And we ask this in his name. Amen.